0: You're listening to the QPEM Podcast. To listen to our previous Sunday worship services, please visit our website at www.qpem.org. That's Q-P-E-M dot This week's message was given by Pastor Peter Kim. It is Christmas week already this coming Friday. Uh, can you believe it? It's here uh, already um, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Join us with you on this Christmas day. Uh, Let's begin the day. You know, we have Christmas worship. I know some of you are wondering, hey, why are we having Christmas uh, worship on that day? Is it a day for families and gatherings? Of course it is. And and we're going to gather with our families, uh, you know, (laughs) social distance wise, of course. But, you know, to give priority to worship on Christmas day. To begin the day uh, as we ought to. Uh, rightfully worshiping the newborn king. You know, that's a beautiful way to start Christmas. And then we can get to the uh, family gatherings and the gifts and all that as well. So let's put a priority of worship first on Christmas. Join us again this Friday. Uh, It's going to be a wonderful time uh, to celebrate as a family of God here at QPAM. You know, in this season, special season of Christmas, a season of giving really is it, Uh, where we really uh, are cheerful in our hearts, even though it's been a challenging very difficult, hard year for all of us. Um, this Christmas season, it gives us a heart, perhaps more to give. Isn't it true? Uh, we feel more joyful to be more generous. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a, you know, festive lights and music, a tree, whatever it is. Maybe you got some end of the year bonus, hopefully. I mean, whatever's leading you to be more generous and giving, um, that's the season we're in. Yesterday, even after the Saturday mornings, uh, early morning, or A.M.P. here at QPAM, uh, Peter, Rich, Young young adults, and I, we went down, and there was this grand opening of the Potter's Book Cafe. You know, yesterday we opened this beautiful, beautiful place here in our church. It was formerly the church library, <laughs> named after our, our senior uh, pastor uh, who founded this church, Pastor uh, Joseph Chang. Um, now, uh, with, with the age and the new uh, season we're in, uh, the church... Um, you know, just started a, a renovation, uh, completely regutting that whole place. And, you know, just a couple of pictures here I want to show you of this new book cafe that is literally right down, if you want to go and check it out after service, go down the playground and make a ride. And it's this beautiful place now, a place created uh, our church, especially for young adults, for the college students, the younger generation, to fellowship, to to really find rest and replenishment, restoration. I know now, of course, in New York, we have the new band now. Uh, Indoor dining's closes again, and people, maybe young adults, were wondering where do we go after church? You know, to hang out. Even well, now there's a place here in our church, right downstairs, a beautiful sanctuary where you can just go, and it's got Wi-Fi and, and coffee and everything else. And the Cuban elders and I, we prayed, and how can we also contribute and give to this beautiful blessing, um, especially for our younger generation? So we, we prayed, and we decided to give an amount of $10,000 to this uh, grand opening. And, and the church was so gracious uh, and, and thankful for that. It's going to go towards uh, new coffee machines and the new refrigerator and everything else that um, is going to be in that place. You know, this vision where not just, you know, the KM or... EM, but all four congregations, the young adult, the generation that is going to be leading this church can come together and really share and spend life together. I I pray, you know, that will be such a place you can find Jesus and one another, uh, fellowship in Christ there. So check it out after service today. Wonderful setting in the spirit of giving. We're giving to that. And, and then after that, I was like, you know what? It's time for a haircut for me, okay? It's been a, a couple of months, I think. And so I said, hey, you know what? I got to go get a haircut. I usually have gone in the past, you know, to these Korean salons. man. Prices have gone up, right? Especially with the pandemic. Now at the Korean salon, it's like $35 for a haircut. That's crazy. I'll never pay $35 for a a men's haircut. No way. I've been giving my boys a free haircut this whole entire pandemic. And they look fine, okay? So, you know, I said, let's go to this Chinese salon on Roosevelt Avenue. And I get a better deal. It's much cheaper. And so I found this one. uh, P Nate recommended it to me. And we go down there. And and it's $7 for a haircut. Can you believe that? $7 for a men's haircut. You add $3 more, they give you like this head massage, and it's pretty cool, actually. It's like, you know, pretty refreshing for those that are stressed out. And so 10 bucks they get uh, up the ante a little bit for the pandemic, $17 still, great deal, great deal. I said, all right, let me go get this haircut. I went afterwards. I got my haircut, got a little head massage. I saved a lot of money. I was like, feeling good? And it's Christmas, though. It's a spirit of giving, though, right? It's a spirit of giving, and I felt, you know, hey, I want to give, you know, and thank, you know, the, you know the Tony, the, the guy who just cut my hair, the, the lady who just g- gave me a head massage. I want to give them. So I just started, like, taking out money out of my pocket, I gave the, the hair massage lady $20, and then, then I had some more money in my pocket. I said, Tony, here, 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 Merry Christmas. I gave him another $20, and I walked out. Feeling good about myself, I'm like, yeah, Christmas. And I thought about wait, how much should I just give right now? Right? Hold on a second. $17 I paid for the haircut, $20 tip to the lady, $20 tip to Tony. What did I just do? I get like $50, what is it, $57 or something like that for a haircut? I started freaking out. I was like, I'm like Kathy's gonna kill me, you know? She's gonna kill me for paying $50 for a haircut. And Kathy, sorry, I didn't tell you yet. If you're looking, um, it's Christmas, it's Christmas, okay, Christmas season, we're in the spirit of giving, okay, and that's what we ought to be doing, be generous, right, especially those who are working, and as a church, we even did that this past Thursday, or actually, we were supposed to go Thursday, but Wednesday, uh, before the snow, uh, we have our annual community gift baskets to give, and, and Wednesday, right around 4 o'clock, right, right around snow's coming, we, we went out and we delivered 40 gift baskets to the 109 Precinct, um, a really blessing there um, for the 109 uh, officers and they got a new chief there. We had the chance to talk with them and, and really pray for them, pray for the precinct, for protection over them. And then we went and went to the FDNY, gave them another 30 gift baskets to the FDNY, the fire department as well. And, you know, they, it's a small thing. You know, we put some like, you know, ramyan noodles this time in there and some other tea just for the pandemic apparently they came said that's good for the coronavirus or whatnot so we we blessed them with that but more so than that just a prayer of blessing for them they were so thankful you know you can see they're really gracious that you know this church is thinking about them and and they're really blessed uh, to have you know us really even give that small sign of appreciation for them the prayer and and the gifts you know the season of giving is what christmas is about right That's why we're doing, you know, more active, you know, mercy hours this season. And and that's why we have opportunities like Angel Tree and Franklin Nursing and all that. But, you know, this season of giving is not just for Christmas, right? This uh, life um, uh, as as a, a sense of giving is not just meant for this coming week or the holiday season. You know, this book of Ecclesiastes we've been learning The preacher, as he's been preaching, giving these life lessons of wisdom, has thus far taught us one thing. If you want to just kind of sum up what we learned, the first five chapters of Ecclesiastes, is basically life, the entirety of life, is a gift from God, right? Life is a gift from him. Everything, every little detail, every moment, every breath we have is a gift from him, you know? You know, we, we try to pursue the joys we've said, right? this pursuit of happiness. We've tried to attain you know, success and joy and, and, and contentment, and, and we've been learning that this, this happiness, it doesn't come from our seeking or striving, but it comes actually from God's giving. Right? It comes from God's giving his blessing to us. That's the source of our joy. And we've learned thus far. We cannot experience this satisfaction apart from, from him. Now, let that sink in again, you know. We cannot experience that everlasting, abounding, full satisfaction apart from God and, of course, through his son, Jesus Christ. You know? you know, today on this Sunday before Christmas, as we reflect on this season of giving, as we reflect, of course, on the greatest gift that we can ever receive in the birth of our Savior, Christ Jesus, you know. We continue in this exposition of Ecclesiastes, and we come to a passage where once again, what's this passage talking about that Deacon Highland just read about? Uh, It's not a Christmas message per se. But yet, it's another truth that comes to light about this joy that comes from God. But today, it's in regard to an area where we so often see this joy that's manifested, actually not from God as a gift, but from our works, our efforts, our doing. And it's this area of money, wealth, and possessions. Okay. Money, wealth, and possessions. Of course, a church, you know, again, people don't maybe feel too comfortable hearing that at the church again. But hey, that's where we're at in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what I love about expository preaching. You don't get to pick and choose, you know, what you're preaching on this Sunday. Like, this is kind of what I feel like preaching today. No, this is what the Bible is at right now today, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. This is where we're at. So perhaps, you know, some of you are saying, you know, this maybe again, message, wealth, money, not a big issue for me. Not really an area of sin struggle, right? I got this area covered, you know, maybe other areas, sure. You know, maybe I'll listen a little more carefully, but this area, not a really big issue, right? You know, I read Pastor Keller's uh, book, Counterfeit Gods, uh, this past week, especially in light of uh, this passage uh, today. You know, chapter 3 is titled Money Changes Everything. And one interesting thing that Pastor Keller shared was that, you know, he did this series of talks on, on uh, seven deadly sins. Uh, at This men's breakfast, and you know, he, he preached every day on a specific, uh, you know, deadly sin that's noted in scripture, and you know, you can imagine for all these other sins uh, uh, on the uh, topics of lust or or wrath or even pride, huge attendance, men and women, they came out. Pat, you know, I, I need to learn about what Keller has to say about this. You know, I need to be challenged, and you know, try to be, you know, really change in this area of pride in my life or or lust or whatnot. But the week <laughs> that he taught. Greed, the lowest attendance, right? (laughs) Nobody showed up. Why? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with that, you know? I don't struggle with greed. (laughs) You know, I can't ever recall maybe ever as a pastor even saying, like anyone coming to me is, Pastor, I spent way too much money on myself, you know? I'm really struggling here. I think my greedy lust for money is that it's harming my family or my, my soul, the people around me, you know? We don't hear that much. Greed actually hides itself from the victim. The, the money gods in a motif or a modus operandi includes this blindness in our own hearts to this area of greed and wealth and money. And that's where we're at today. And that's where we have to start here. Perhaps I challenge some of you here, perhaps that maybe have have begun with this mindset, you know, I'm I'm okay with this. Perhaps maybe we need to acknowledge and be open, possibly even confess that yes, this matter of greed or money or lust for money, it is real. And it is an issue for all of us. We got to start there. And as we start in that place, at least of openness and humility, now let God speak to us through his word. And... He begins, turn with me, in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Right. It's kind of the premise of this uh, teaching today. He says in verse 10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. We've been talking about that word, chabel, vanity, it's, it's, it's fleeting, it's, it's temporary, it, it comes and goes. He who loves money, clearly, the preacher is saying, you will not be satisfied with money. It's vanity. So the question we ask, right, is money a bad thing? Right? Is it sinful to, to be wealthy, to be rich? Right? The Bible has a lot to say about this topic of money. In fact, did you know, you know, Jesus talks about the sin of, uh, I guess, we're going to get to you know, this area of wealth and money more than any other, I guess, uh, life area in our, uh, I guess, spiritual life. Really, the Bible has a lot to say about money, but it's not necessarily that money is evil. Look what First Timothy chapter six verse ten says. He says, "For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil." Right? Paul writes, "For the love of money." Is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, and even pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, so be very clear. You know, a lot of times, you know, we we kind of maybe misunderstand. Money, God never says is, is is evil, or or being wealthy is not sinful per se. But for the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. Right? What do we love? what we truly love, what we love in our life, what we desire and crave after and think about and daydream about, what we really kind of spend our our moments, thoughts on, whatever it is that we love. In the Bible, you can call it another word, idolatry, right? idol. Whatever it is which we love and place at, at utmost you know, desire, it is an idol. And D- Jesus teaches more about this idol, idolatry of the love of money more than any other idol in Scripture. Can you think of that? Why? Why does he do this? Luke 16, 13 to 15, Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Goes on to 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, you know, they were hearing all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But you see, God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God, he says. Jesus knows, remember? our hearts that's the beauty of this god that, that that created us and loves us he sees us not just all the time just outwardly but he sees into the, the inner depths of our hearts and he sees the things that we love and whatever it is that we love it is our idol and whatever the idols that we we turn to it's what we put our trust in right that's what we live for that's what we kind of obey in a sense that's what idols do right Keller writes in Counter for Gods, he says, lovers of money, you know, they're those people who find themselves, think about it, they're fantasizing, daydreaming all day about new ways to make money, new possessions to buy, looking with jealousy on those who have more than they do. Perhaps, I think, we've been guilty of that, haven't we? thinking and daydreaming, you know, oh man, I want to get this, you know, on this Christmas Friday, you know. It's a gift I've been waiting for, hoping for. We're fantasizing, we're desiring it. It's all we think about. It's almost consuming, this thought. Lover of money. Trusters of money, those who feel like we have, they have to have control of their lives. And what money does or what it brings, you know, security, perhaps safety, money, wealth, it brings a sense of, you know, you know, I feel comfort now, right? Surely, we've experienced that. Idolatry that makes us, you know, live for or obey this idol of money, surely, right? We look to these things that, that we give out, almost selling our souls to for significance, right? Meaning, again, security, we have to have them. And so we're driven to serve these idols, right? So when Jesus is saying that, you know, we serve money, he, he, he's using a word in essence of, of a servitude to a king, right? As a slave to a king. If you live for money, basically Jesus is saying you're a slave to that very thing. In this case, money. And if that's the case, then what we've, had, what we've done is we've dethroned the king, you know, the, our, our newborn king this Christmas. We've dethroned him, placed him off the throne. And now we have a new place the love of money perhaps that has become the center of our life right it's one or the other god says you cannot serve as a servant both god or and or money you cannot serve both there's only one person on the throne who's on the throne in our life the preacher says in verse 10 he who loves money will not be satisfied with money It's vanity. No matter how much a person has, no matter how much riches and wealth they accumulate, what's he saying? There's going to be always a possibility, what? For more. Desire for more, right? Isn't that true? If, If your life pursuit is for money, right? And so many people in this world, that is their life pursuit. I need more, more. If that's what you're living for, the preacher clearly says, you will never be satisfied. Why? It's obvious. Because you'll never have enough. You'll never have enough. It's a never ending task, a life pursuit. You'll always be in pursuit of it. And I don't have to look too far in my life to see this actually uh, lived out and to, to see the effect of this in, 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 in my personal life. You know, I, I grew up, my parents and my dad especially motivated and driven, driven by money, right? Driven, you know. His life goal was to to make all this money, why? So that he can... Impress other people, his friends, you know. He, he wants to be placed on a, a, a statue of power and success and, and looked at, you know, upon uh, by others. while wow, that person is a success. And, and he lived for that. And my dad, you know, he, he, he strived, he worked hard, he, he never had a day off. He, that's all he'd live for every day, working, working. And he did this garment factory, making women's dresses to the point where it got really successful. And, and when I was in junior high, we, we moved in 1985, I think, to Hills, Long Island. We bought like a million-dollar house. And by then, you know, there were not too many Asians that moved there yet. And so we were one of the only Asian and Korean families that moved out there. We had this beautiful huge mansion This house that was actually put in this magazine is like this this home you know housekeeping magazine or whatever it was this uh, this this beautiful magazine our house was displayed in there as a tour uh, we had these fancy cars and, and and he had everything yet it wasn't enough it was pursued for more he wanted more and so so instead of being content there uh, now he said, you know, I, I want to expand this, you know, and, and, and I want to go for even bigger, bigger treasures. And, and so he, he, he put everything in one basket and he, and he wanted to start his own clothing line. You know, forget about now, you know, just, just making, you know, dresses, you know, factory and, and producing it for someone else. I want to have my own clothing line because that's where the real money is. And so he he named this uh, Jane International, you know, this fashion line after my kid sister Jane, Jane International. And he put everything, all the eggs in one basket. And sure enough, uh, that pursuit uh, got wiped out, cleaned up, right, cleaned up, cleaned up. You know, obviously the the people, the big boys, they they saw this little fish trying to, you know, come into their waters. Just wiped them out and, and we lost the house we lost uh, the cars. we moved from this you know, huge mansion, uh, renting back here uh, in Bayside. And yet since then, my dad's been pursuing still that, that, that dream again, every day. He's 69 years old today still. He's pursuing that pursuing. And that's the, the vision, the picture that my brother and I grew up with, right seeing that. He lost everything. Ecclesiastes 5:14. The preacher warns about this. Those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he's a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. You you can talk about my dad in that verse or others that we know. Father with nothing left to pass on to his children. It's just eating away at him today. I see that. What have I worked my whole life for? I have nothing here to pass along. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, This is vanity meaningless it's 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 just fleeting comes and goes verse 11 when goods increase they increase who eat them and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes you know think about it's talking about an owner here those uh, that actually have accumulated wealth and uh, (laughs) the preacher saying hey very important truth as one's means increases guess what so do your bills okay (laughs) right you heard that phrase, more money, you know, more problems, you know? You heard that? Oh, you were like, ah, you know, the rich people say that. Easy for them to say. Why is it that almost every rich person says the same thing, right? More money, more problems in my life. Not just the world, but here, more importantly, the Bible says it. The Bible says it. Why? Because the one who has wealth honestly seldom has opportunities to really enjoy its fruits. Think about it, right? You're working so hard your whole life for what? My brother and I were talking about this. You know, we're, we're, we're in this, you know, society, this, this, this world that teaches um, us that, you know, work hard your whole life, you know, just 12, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, just, just working so hard for what? For your weekends? You know, a couple of weekends, uh, couple days in the month, and then what? You retire one day at the age of, what, 65? And then you can live life, it says. That's what the world you know, is saying, right? We're 65 years old one day, and, and, and we're, 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 we're so maybe old. Our, our physical stature is not what it used to be, and we're not able to enjoy the things that we're able to do now, right? What's this world teaching us? Right? What's it all for? We don't get to enjoy, actually, the day-to-day life. God is giving us to the even now, right? As owners, he talks about those that are owners and those who actually work. In verse 12, the preacher's saying, sweet is the, lab- sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep, you know? There's stress, anxiety for those who accumulate this thing called wealth. Why? They can't sleep, they're driven, maybe in their sleep to increase their wealth, thinking more ideas and dreams. How can I get more money, you know? Like my dad's thinking, what's the next dream? What's the next lotto ticket? What's the next, you know, you know, venture, right? We know people like that perhaps, some of us are struggling with that. Or maybe they're so afraid in their sleep of losing all their wealth, right? In one instance, this pandemic, millions of people have lost their businesses, restaurants, their livelihood, Gone in a flesh. The rich cannot sleep well, the preacher says. Yeah. Verse 13 is talking about this tragedy. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. What does that mean? You know? It's theologian Robert Gordas he says, you know, this guarding of wealth it's building up this anxiety, this, this anxiety in us, you know? This money, since it's never used, it doesn't bring joy or pleasure in any kind of way. All it does is bring more and more anxiety and worry and stress. Surely, we've heard this before in verse 15, 15 as, he comes, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toll that he may carry away in his hand. There's a one thing, Right? Ecclesiastes uh, taught, taught us? It's death, right? right. Death is going to come upon all of us one day. We cannot take anything with us on that day. Right? First Timothy 6, 7, you know, Paul reminds us, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. That's true. Conclusion, verse 17 and this premise here, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, sickness, and anger. You know, people basically who strive for this meaning and wealth are reaching for a goal that is hopeless, church. Hopeless. Vanity. Chabel. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? The preacher says there's an evil that he has seen under the sun. He continues on in Ecclesiastes 6, chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. There's an evil that I've seen. It lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. But listen to this here. This man that God has given wealth, possessions, all the things that he desires, yet God does not give him Power to enjoy them. A stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. There's some that God has given actually this wealth to. You think about Zena you know, this people like you know hey, they're not Christians. They're not believers. But yeah, they're just well, they're rich. But there's something critical that they are missing. And it says here again in verse 2, God has not given them a power to actually enjoy their wealth. A power to enjoy the gifts that actually God gave them to begin with. Because everything is from God, isn't it? Right? All things are from him. If we you know, take a moment to just really reflect upon that, yes. All things are from him, Yes. So we don't own anything, God owns everything and we're just stewards of what he gives to us, sure. But even the gifts that he gives to us, we cannot enjoy them except for by one way and the preacher's saying, there's a power that he gives for you to enjoy it, see. Without this power from God, it's all vanity. It's meaningless, it's it's chabel. Okay, so hold on a second. I'm going to be working hard and, you know, get you know, wealthy and, and get some riches and, you know, I can try to, you know, continue to climb up this ladder or whatnot on this, on this life, but, but you tell me, wait, I can have all this wealth and even God would even give it to me, these possessions even, but yet I may not be able to enjoy them without this power from him? How do I get this power, pastor? Tell me how do I get this power? How does this happen, right? And God says, hey, hold on a second. This is, again, not something that you, you can do on your own, right? This is not something that, that you come up with. You can kind of, you know, manufacture here. You see, again, it comes back to the heart issue. Where's your heart? There's something deeper in our hearts that needs to be changed for us to experience this joy, enjoyment, in even the wealth that God may give to some of us. These deep idols that we have within our hearts perhaps more visible than the, the surface idols that we, we kind of show on the outside, right? Keller talks about this again in his book, you know, Gods. You know, surface idols, you know, things like maybe you know, just, just our, our spouse or our children that we invest in and put time in, you know, the, the idols at which we seek f- fulfillment in life, of course, sure. You know. But money, for example, can be a surface idol that serves to satisfy more foundational impulses. Think about it this way. Some people what? Want lots of money for what reason? As a way to control their life, right? Again, to have some kind of control. You know, I, want, I need to be in control. I need to be driving the wheel. And money's going to allow me to kind of dictate where I go, take my family, right? You know, some people usually don't spend money and, and they live very modestly. They keep it all safely saved in this vault and invested. Why? Because you know what? That, that makes them completely feel safe and secure, right? I have that, you know, nest egg for the emergency, and that gives me security in this world. Others want money for access, what, to these social circles? Oh, you can't come in unless you have a certain amount. (laughs) There's a little club pass. And then money makes them beautiful in their eyes, attractive, right? Yeah, they, they do spend money on themselves in lavish ways, but other people want money because it gives them so much power over others, perhaps. Every case, money is functioning as an idol, but because of these other deeper idols, right? In our hearts, right? We just talked about that. Money (laughs) functions as kind of a surface idol, hiding the deeper idols in our hearts. In every case, the idolatry of money, it'll enslave us, control us, distort uh, the very life that Christ died to give you, right? How can we then be freed again from this lusting for this money that enslaves us? It has to be addressed at the heart, church. It has to be exercised deep within our hearts. And the only way this is possible is what happened this coming Friday on Christmas. The only possible way we could even envision dethroning this idol of the love of money from this throne on our hearts so now put a new king in its place this newborn king born this christmas day the one that has come you know a humble king we talk about you know second corinthians 8 and 9 know Paul is you know asking this church the church in Corinth to, to give an offering to the poor and, and and you know he's an apostle with authority and he can just say hey you know what you ought to give because you know now you're Christians and so you know by my command you ought to just listen and follow me but he does not say this he doesn't say to the church you should give and, and be more generous because of that in verse eight if you look at second corinthians eight eight he says I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He's saying, you know, I don't want to force you to do something, although I can give you authority as, as you know, in the elder and, you know, just apostle that God has appointed me as. But I don't want this offering that you are called to give to be simply a response to a demand. I want it as a response to the genuineness of your hearts. A response of the love that you have received. And then he writes, Second Corinthians 8 verse 9, a verse we know very well. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, you might become rich. Rich. Praise God. I want you to know, and you do know this, church, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know He is God and He is rich in every way. Yet for your sake, for your life, for your sins, He became poor. In all His glory as God, He became poor as much as he would become man, God, with us this Christmas day. Not only to come down as a man like you and I, but to serve us as man, to serve us in humility, ultimately displayed in the greatest example of sacrifice by going to the cross for you and I. That by his poverty, by his emptiness, you and I may become rich. That's the good news. That's the good news this Christmas. That Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, would lose everything, all his glory that we could never possibly imagine, envision what that even means. He lost it. He gave it up so that you and I could gain everything, church. Thank you, Father, thank you. We know this, the great exchange at the cross. My sin, our poverty for his glory and his riches. (laughs) Doesn't seem fair, but it's not fair to God. What's now, his glory, his riches now becomes ours and whose poverty now, ours, becomes his. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. When we grasp this truth, and once again, the gospel again, comes back again. When we understand this and truly let it seep into the inner depths of our hearts, it's gonna change how we see this world, and even our view of money, wealth, possessions, and everything else that it brings in significant security and comfort and wealth and, 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 and control and all that other stuff. It's gonna change us. Now we don't have to worry, right, about money so much, why? Because the cross, it proves that God, you know, he already cares for you, church, okay? Why worry? God already sent his son Jesus to die for you. Isn't that secure enough? We have security in Christ. Now you don't have to envy other you know, people's money. You don't have to be jealous about that, why? Because Christ loved his salvation. He gives you an incredible status. You are worthy before his eyes. A child of God, that's something money can never give you. Praise God. Money cannot save you from tragedy or give you control in this chaotic world. Only the sovereign God who reigns can only do that, right? To understand what Christ has done, what you have in Him, now we can start to understand Jesus. Be on the throne. Replace the other idols in my life. Dethrone the the very thing that has been, you know, my master in a sense. And now perhaps this power that God's talking about, this power to actually enjoy the wealth and the, the riches that God has given to, you know, maybe some, maybe now we can truly understand what this means. Here, what is good and fitting? In verse 18 in chapter 5, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The very few days of his life that God has given him, and here it is, for this is his lot here, right? Again, now I'm, I'm understanding again, every day, as few as it may be, whether we live 50, 60, 70, 80 years on earth, every day, as few as it is, it's a gift. It's my lot here. I enjoy it as a blessing. and Again, in verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions, and again, this power now to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, here it is. This is the gift of God, church. Enjoy it. Receive it. (laughs) Now, with Christ as our king, everything else in our life now, It's put in the right perspective. It's put in the right order. And even this ability to see wealth, even money, we are now able to enjoy the gift in the right way, right? Not for our selfish means, for our selfish desires or promotion or advancement as a gain to seek after, you know, more and more in this world. No, but simply as a joy that God's given us in that very day, in that very moment. Every day is a gift from God. Praise you. If God has given us a gift and and the power now through Christ to enjoy them through Jesus, then I can accept my lot, right? I can have peace and even rejoice in my toil and and hard work and labor. And now, perhaps for the first time, I can enjoy wealth and possessions, not as vanity, but as a gift from him. Thank you, Lord. And I think about, again, this, this thing, you know, with this power that, that God has given, you know, to really enjoy the gift that God gives. You know, I, I, we watch Marvel and superhero movies all the time. You know who my favorite superhero is? You know who it is, right? Yeah, of course, it's Spider-Man, right? I played him three times at church, right? So I, I dressed up as him, so he's my favorite superhero. His favorite quote, I always remember. Remember his quote from Spider-Man? With great power comes great responsibility. How true is that? God has given us this power now. For what? For who? For who, right? For me? My gain? My reward? We've been given these gifts and a power to enjoy them. Not really for ourselves, it's a responsibility now we have for His glory, for the love of others. It's a matter of trust. Do we trust in God? This trust goes both ways. I'm gonna say there's one quote here. Pastor Dan Olson he said, you know, we're accustomed to this biblical message that we should trust God in this area. Yeah, we should trust God. But here's another smaller, subordinate, maybe still important category. That God actually would trust us. What does that mean? That if we are not faithful with money which is unrighteous and not worth much, then who will entrust to us the true riches of spiritual wealth and power? In other words, if we can't handle these cheap things wisely, why would God put far more precious things into, his, into our hands, like his kingdom work that he entrusts to us, right? It's a trust that goes both ways. But with the right perspective, we can begin to understand what this joy is about. That it's actually not for me, not for my own advancement and gain and satisfaction. This prosperity preaching that maybe you hear at church that, hey, you know, there's passages like this, you know, that if you, if you give to the church and, you know, God promise you that you'd be a very rich or, or you'll be healed from your illness or you'll get promoted in your job. All these, you know, prosperity gospel preachers that preach this, it's not in the Bible. What is this prosperity then that God's talking about? It's a prosperous, not per se a lifestyle of prosperity perhaps, a lifestyle of the rich and famous. Our discipleship, we're learning this right now, right? It's not a prosperity of a lifestyle. It's a prosperous life that we have in Jesus Christ. A life that is prosperous and joyful. Joyful. Because we have Jesus in our life. I mean, think about all the different ways that we can experience this. You know, even this past, you know, season, you know, of, of, of serving. I know with the pandemic, we haven't been able to serve as a church much and, 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 and such. But even a thing like today, we're going to go to a Franklin nursing home. We're going to deliver some Christmas gift bags, you know. We encourage some of you guys today, just stick around and write a few cards. We're going to deliver and just bless them with the good news, the gospel there. You know, this past, uh, last week, I, I was able to join the Garden of Hope again and, 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 and able to just be part of this, this this Christmas event, this Christmas worship for 40 children, parents. There's a couple of pictures of, of us just on the screen there and just just praising and just worshiping, singing carols and, and, and Christmas hymns for the children. I'll tell you that, uh, you know, on that moment, it brought great joy, you know. There's a joy that's priceless in moments like this, you know. Angel Tree this you know, past week and this week. Some of us are engaging in calling Zoom calls with these children whose parents, or father and mother is incarcerated and we're sharing the gospel, the good news of hope. There's opportunities that God gives us to share the joy, the love of Christ with others, church. How will we respond? Now I'll close with this as I invite Pastor Rich up to uh, lead us in a time of response. And John Wesley, you know, he was this, Incredible uh, figure in uh, the evangelical awakening in England. Uh, We know of him as this tireless preacher, organizer, activism. He was unparalleled in his days. Book sales alone earned more than 100,000, I guess, uh, euros back then. It's, It's about $10 million today in his lifetime. Yet, Wesley, he died penniless, without a penny to his name. He gave nearly all his resources, an entire life to the poor, to Christian causes, to the ministry of others. And his time, his talent, treasure were all radically laid on the altar of God's kingdom-building work. In one of his uh, last sermons that he wrote, uh, in the conclusion of the sermon called The Use of Money, he says this, he says, Gain all you can in your life. Gain all you can without hurting either yourself or your neighbor, in soul or body, by applying hereto with unintermitted diligence and with all the understanding which God has given you. And then save all you can by cutting off every expense which serves only to indulge foolish desires, to gratify either the desire of the flesh or the desire of the eye or the pride of life. Waste nothing, he says, living or dying on sin or folly, whether for yourself or your children. And then, church, he says, give all you can. Or in other words, give all that you have to God. Don't stint yourself, uh, you know, or just to that portion, you know, render unto God not a tenth, not a third, not half. But all that is God's, be it more or less by employing all on yourself, your household, the household of faith. All mankind in such a manner that you may give a good account of your stewardship when you can no longer be stewards. Would you receive this gift of wealth? And in a way, not the world says to, but in a way that God calls us to, let us enjoy the gifts and give it as Christ gave his life to us. And in doing so, I pray this Christmas season, you'll experience a joy, even in wealth and riches, that we've never experienced ever before. Let's go to God in prayer. Season of giving. What will we boast about in this season again? What are we living for? What what drives us? What consumes our thoughts and minds, the desires of our heart? Who is sitting on that throne in your life, in your heart, in the innermost deep desires of our hearts? Who is sitting on that throne? That's the question God's asking today. And we gotta ask that question, we gotta search that answer. idol of comfort, the idol of security, the idol of power and pride, success, the idol of stability and just satisfaction, just the choice, of short-term gratifications that come and go. What is driving you? College students, what are you studying so hard for? Young adults, what are you working so hard for in your careers? Parents, what are you raising your children to be? change our attitude it's replacing and supplanting the person on that throne let's ask Jesus this Christmas week Jesus would you be king in my heart would you reign in my life would you sit as you ought to on that throne ruling over everything in my life Would You put the right perspective and with that power that you give God would I maybe for the first time experience a joy that you even give to us, even in wealth and possessions and riches. Would it be for your glory and your glory alone? Let's pray, church. Let's lift it up to Him. Thanks for listening to the QPEM podcast. For more information on our church, please visit our website at www.qpem.org That's Q-P-E-M